If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. This will be the last sermon in this series. If you've missed the series, and I know in the summer some of you have, that's okay. You can hear it. Get caught up uh, and, and go to our webpage and follow the prompts, and you'll end up where you're supposed to be, and, and uh, you'll get to get caught up and hear, I believe, what God had to say to us. This will be the last sermon in this series, A Twisted World. Remember we talked about the fact that Satan, the master deceiver and destroyer, uh, his desire is to twist things so much that you believe the wrong things, do the wrong things. In the process, it destroys your life. His goal is to keep you from finding Christ. That's his goal. That's his desire. And he will twist all sorts of things to keep you from finding Christ. If you find Christ and become a follower of Christ, then he wants to disconnect you from the power of Christ. He wants to compromise your testimony. And so he'll twist things to make that happen. And the danger is sometimes we don't catch it and we follow along with it. So as we look at a twisted world, I do want you to see what he's saying to the people around him. Because one of the things I think he's twisted very well is what is sin and what isn't. We have lived in a world, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a time where a lot of times church and religion would, uh, would use guilt as a motivation for service. And perhaps we've all grown up where guilt was how people wanted to make you do things or, or, or influence your life, and guilt was a powerful force. Guilt's not how, is why we serve the Lord, and guilt is not why we follow the Lord. It is out of love we follow the Lord, it is out of love we serve the Lord. And yet, guilt became a powerful tool. Well, the devil has taken and done some things to kind of, uh, I think, twist some things to where we don't feel guilt at all. And there's a time we do need to feel some guilt because we've done some things wrong. Now, I want to talk to you about today, I think the big the thing that has, seems to dominate the world and how they deal with things today, it's just a mistake. And I want to talk about that. What does it mean it's just a mistake? Well, we hear it all the time. Something will happen, say, my bad, made a mistake. Made a mistake. Uh, I used to play a basketball uh, uh, in high school, and I played it really aggressively because I thought the object of the game was to win. I mean, you know... So, you know what you do to win. Well, uh, we'd have this thing where uh, uh, sometimes a guy would get a breakaway layup from the other team, and I would be the closest one to him, and perhaps he was a tad faster than me, he could jump higher than me, and so I would foul him. I mean, I'd foul him. He wasn't going to get the shot off. And I would always say this, I would say this to him. I would foul him. I mean, I would really foul him. I'd knock him down, whatever it took. And then I'd say, man, sorry, dude, my bad. <laughs> didn't mean to do that. Like, yeah, yeah, I didn't mean to do that. Uh, I really meant to do that. That was not a mistake. That wasn't an accident. Like, oops, I bumped into you. No, I ran into you, man. I didn't bump into you. Uh, you see, we do life that way. Well, my bad. I, I didn't, that was a mistake. My children, when they began dating, uh, one of the more difficult times of my life, they, uh, they would date, and, and I, I give them a curfew. I, I do believe in curfews. So I'm just, you know, if you're going, man, this 21st century, I, 
telling you, curfews are good. Uh, and I always give them a watch, you know, because if I don't have a watch, I go, I don't know what time it was. So you give them a watch, got a watch, be home at, at 11 o'clock, 11.30, depending. And if it was a situation required, okay, if you're doing something that, you know, I know where you are, okay. But if you're going to be late for curfew, call me. Call me because I want to know what's going on. And I need to, you need to explain to me why you're late. Uh, so uh, one of my children decided to show up an hour late without calling. And come in about, you know, 12 o'clock. Like nothing. They knew kind of something was wrong. Uh, they knew that it was going to be a, a, a moment of awkwardness. They just didn't know how awkward it was going to get. But when they came in and, they, and I looked and said, well, where you been? Know what time it is? Yeah, I know what time it is. I just made a mistake. What do you mean a mistake? Got a watch? Yeah, I got a watch. Know what time it was? Well, you made a mistake. You just didn't. You, you actually disobeyed. And you did it because you just thought you'd try it and do it because you wanted to do it. Bible actually calls that sin. There's a word we don't hear often. And so what the devil has done is communicate to us that it's just a mistake. Guys, you're on my bad, just a mistake. It wasn't really what it was. Let me explain to you. Let me give you definitions of these things because I want to read this to you. I put this in your notes in the the introduction. Uh, Deception always distorts the truth, creating illusions of life and eternity, okay, meaning things aren't always as they seem. And then the master deceiver has creatively called sin simply a mistake, resulting in in a false security. Now, let me give you the definition of mistake so we'll understand what we're talking about. It's an error or a fault resulting from defective judgment, deficient knowledge, maybe a little careless, okay? A misunderstanding. That's a mistake, meaning I didn't do it on purpose. I just, maybe I didn't have, I, I didn't realize what I was doing or, or I, I didn't mean to do that. But happen. That's possible. See, not all mistakes are sin. There are some legitimate mistakes. But all sin is never a mistake. Big difference. You see, when I make mistakes, you're supposed to give me a pass. Because everybody makes mistakes. Everybody messes up. Hey, we just kind of let one another slide. Just a mistake. Let me read the definition of sin to you. An immoral act considered to be a transgression, transgression against divine law or God's law. Okay? A transgression of a religious or moral law, especially when deliberate, deliberate disobedience to the known will of God. That, that's what it is. A sin. And yet, somehow the devil has convinced us to go through life saying, well, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. I was... Uh, Many, many years ago, uh, 27, 28 years ago, my second church, I was counseling a couple, and they were in trouble, and their marriage was about to fall apart, and, and, and so we're getting to the issue, and, and I found out that what was the core of what was taking place right then and now is that the, the husband had been unfaithful to his wife, and I'm trying to get him to deal with that, and I said, tell me what you think happened, his words. He looked at her and said, darling, I, I just made a mistake. <laughs> I'm going, oh, son, we got a long way to go. He could have spent 10 years talking to her about that 
And she ain't believing it's a mistake because she knows what he's done. He has committed a sin. It ain't a mistake. He deliberately violated his covenant. He deliberately disobeyed God, all these things. You see, but we kind of go, well, it's just a mistake. I had a lady uh, years ago in my second church. She embezzled $30,000 from a company, went to jail. I'm visiting her in jail. I said, Tim, what happened? So I just, I made a mistake. No, no, you stole. You stole. That's sin. That's not a mistake. That's sin. And so what happens? You guys, you go around. People say, oh, it's just a mistake. You didn't do this mistake. No. When we violate God's will, when we disobey God, and the authorities put over us, we sin. And sin has consequences that follow. So here's what Jesus is trying to say. I, that's kind of a long introduction to get to you where I want to get to you. Uh, uh, here's what he says in 520, Matthew 520. The Sermon on the Mount passage, uh, the next three chapters are awesome. He talks about kingdom character, what we're supposed to look like as followers of Christ. And he's had a mixed crowd. He's got the, the, real, the real religious people there, the Pharisees that are, that are always doing the religious stuff. They're wearing God shirts. I mean, by God shirts, they wear robes. They have Bible verses on them. God shirts, and they're, and they're wearing all the paraphernalia of being very much followers of Jehovah God, and they're into that, okay? And they walk around letting everybody know that they are God followers, and they won't talk to people that do not live as they live and do as they do, and there are certain people they won't touch or talk to because they don't want to be contaminated in their own little world. And, and he's also got people that are there that are really not doing good. And, and so he says uh, to this crowd, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He has just made a very bold statement. He has said to these people, you see these guys over here that you are in fear of, that you're in awe of because you think they got it all together because they look so good on the outside. They do all the things you think, and, and they make you feel inferior, and they make you feel less than because they lord over you what they do, and they give you rules you cannot keep, and they hold you accountable to different standards, and all these things are happening. You see those guys? And they're going, yeah, we see those guys. Those are pretty awesome. He said, no, they're not awesome. If you do not exceed their righteousness, you will never enter heaven. Now, that's strange, isn't it? Because they really looked like they were doing everything right. What's the problem? The problem is this. They weren't right with God. They were very religious, but they were not right with God. And well, the problem is this. They think, well, I knew how to keep the rules and how to talk the talk, uh, but they, they didn't have a real right relationship with God. And he said, unless you can do better than that, you're not gonna, they're not going to go to heaven. That's what he's told them. You guys aren't going to heaven. The Pharisees did not like that, and from that point on, they did not like him at all. But guess who started liking him? The sinners. They said, this guy has become our hero. Man, he's saying some pretty serious stuff. He's talking to us very straight because we didn't think those guys were real either. But now he said, no, you got to do better than that. Now they have a problem because they don't know how to do better than that. They don't know how to be better than those guys. So he said, but you got to figure out how to do that. Here's what I want you to get. Number one, sin is a condition that is evident in actions and attitudes. Our sin is a condition of our inner, inner heart. I'm not talking about the muscle that pumps your blood. I'm talking about the, the part of you that's your personality, the center of your will, your appetites, your desires. 
uh, your personality, your sense of humor, uh, how you look at life, your desires. That is who, that's your heart. That's the inner you. He said, that is born with a condition called sin, and it lives out in your life, causing you to do things you should not do and think things you should not think and behave the way you shouldn't. And he says, it's a whole package. It's not just about on the outside. See, on Sunday morning, we all look pretty good on Sunday morning for an hour, don't we? We show up here at 11 o'clock and we look pretty good. But it's just one hour. You see, anybody can look good for a little bit. He said, I'm telling you, I want you to get to where it's not that you look good, but that you are good. I mean, you really, something's happened inside you. Because there's a condition that must be dealt with. The devil wants to tell us the condition is not critical. It's just mistakes we make. You see, our actions and attitudes reflect our heart. And we go through life and we do things we shouldn't do. We think things we shouldn't think. And we feel th- we have attitudes we shouldn't have. He begins to explain. Do you know he said, talks about you should not commit murder? And the guy said, amen. That's what the law says. Moses said, thou shalt not commit murder. He said, right, that's true, but let me tell you. If you fantasize about killing someone because you're angry with them, that's sin. They're going, whoa. I don't know about that. I mean, really. Now, look. I, that guy breaks up with you. You can't dream about running over the car. That's not good. You can't think about that. You see, we're accountable for our thoughts. Isn't that scary? Our attitudes, why we do what we do. See, the Pharisees were doing things so people would think they were great. God said, well, that ain't, that ain't working. They want to do things so they would get attention. He said, that ain't what you're supposed to do. He said, you do things because of love. He said, I don't want you praying out public long prayers. Man, don't do that. And when you fast, don't put on the stuff that everybody knows you're fasting. Man, do that where nobody knows. Sin violates God's standard for right behavior. Either we're doing what we should not or we're not doing what we should. Either way, it's a condition of the heart that causes us to sin. Sin is more than skin deep. It's not just what we do on the outside that people see. It's what we, don't, what we do, how we think about people, and how we think about God, how we feel about God and others. It's a condition of the heart. And I, I want you to get this. People understand. You see... Jesus was a friend of sinners. Does that mean he agreed with them about how they lived? No. He told them the truth about how they lived. But he did an amazing capacity of love and grace. And he said, I'm not asking you to be religious. I'm asking you to have a relationship with me. The biggest tragedy in America today in the 21st century is we have a people who, a a, a mindset that says we just make mistakes, but we're not sinners. Oh, Jesus was walking on the road one day, and a, a guy named Zacchaeus, a tax collector, was, was heard about him, intrigued by him, curious about him. And so he climbs a sycamore tree to watch him come by because he was a short guy. Nobody liked him. Nobody was going to let him get the front of the line. He was a tax collector. Nobody liked him, okay? And, and because he cheated some of these people, took their money, they knew that. Couldn't do anything about it, but they knew it. And so uh, Jesus comes by, looks up, and sees Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to eat today. And the crowd went, do what? Man, you got going to the tax collector's house. That is insane. Why would anybody want to eat with this guy? He's horrible. 
He goes, he sits down, explains the kingdom of God to him. Zacchaeus begins to realize the condition of his heart and why he's done what he's done. And he has not made mistakes taking people's money. He has sinned by taking people's money unfairly and unjustly. And he realizes this. And he goes, I have now sinned and I need forgiveness. I need to be uh, forgiven. I need to have a restoration in my life. And, And Jesus says, man, you're about to get there. It is amazing. We do things today. We hurt people. We offend people. We break God's law. We, we lie. We do things and we tell people, just made a mistake. I'm only human. No, you've sinned. And until you come to the point of confessing and dealing with your sin, you'll never change. That's a fact. You'll never change. Because it's just a mistake. Not that bad. We need a new heart to rescue us and to change us. The second thing I want you to get is in in Matthew 9, verse 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, now, let me tell you what. He went by, one of his disciples was a tax collector. Isn't that so cool? He goes and gets one of the guys that nobody likes. He said, man, I want you to follow me. There's potential in your life. And Matthew left what he was doing and became a follower of Christ. He left his income behind, left what he was doing, and he he had began to follow Christ. And because of this, he invited Jesus to come have dinner and the disciples, and he invited all his friends. Guess who his friends were? You ready? I need to read you this. Guess who his friends were? Later, verse 10, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Not mistakers, sinners. But the Pharisees, when they saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? Because he came to save them. That's why. Look what he says in in, in verse 12. When Jesus heard this, he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Mistakers don't need help. If you're a mistaker, you're, you know, I can't help you. Because you don't really believe something wrong with you. You just made a mistake. It's just a mistake. And Satan has convinced people, that's just a mistake. God's not worried about that. You don't worry about that. It's just a mistake. All right? Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Gosh, that's plain and clear. Simply put, he said, I've come to redeem those, to rescue those, to change those that finally realize they're not right with me. Guys, I, I talk to people all the time uh, about their faith and about the relationship with Christ, and I, it's amazing. I would, I've heard this more than I can count. Man, let me tell you why Jesus died. He died for sinners, Romans 3, 23, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Do you believe you're a sinner? You know, preacher, I make mistakes, but I'm better than most people. There's a mistake word. Uh, You know, we all make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. But, you know, I'm a good person. Have a hard time saying we're sinners, don't we? Boy, because it's humbling. It's really painfully honest to say I'm a sinner. But it's truth that'll set you free. It's truth that'll change your life. And Christ come to save sinners. If you're not going to confess to being a sinner, he can't save you. That's the bottom line. Not hard. You can go through life saying, I just made a mistake. I made a mistake. My my bad. I didn't mean to. I I just did. 
He doesn't want the sacrifice that comes with religion. He wants the surrender that begins a relationship. To have salvation from sin, it must come from someone who's never sinned, and that person is Jesus Christ. The second thing is sin requires a Savior, the one and only Jesus. That's it. That's it. Remember the woman that's called the act of adultery? We've referred to her several times during this series because she's, she's just a great picture of what, what Christ was doing in his twisted world. The Pharisees and the religious guys had found her committing in the act of adultery. They came and threw her at the feet of Jesus and said, Look, she's been caught in the act of adultery. The law says she should be stoned to death. They had picked up their stones and said, what do you say? They were waiting for him to give the green light. And he says to this crowd, anyone who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And he kneels down and writes on the ground. And and amazing, something happened People begin to drop their rocks and walk off because no one wanted to be the guy who threw the first one. See, normally what would happen is everybody just start throwing them. And, but he said, no, the guy, hey, if the, who's going to be the first guy? The only guy that's going to say, I've never sinned, ever. They go, man, I can't do that. And they walked off. He looked around and said, woman, where are your accusers? So they've all left but you. He said, I didn't come, I'm not going to condemn you. I didn't come for that. I come to save you. She had a moment of clarity. She understood that she was a sinner. And then he had come to save her. He said, now go and I'm going to change your heart. That you won't keep doing this. But you'll change. The evidence of a relationship with Christ is a changed life. You say, well, why is that? Because we try hard, we work at it. <laughs> well, No. That's not why you change. Let me take you to Ezekiel. Uh, chapter 36, verse 26. And he says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. He's talking about your inner personality, spirit, center of your will, emotions. Okay, I'm going to change how you do that from the inside out. And then, so that you will... Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations or follow me obediently is what he's saying. You see, you can't follow Christ obediently without having him in your life. You can try. You can show up church. You can hang with church for three months, six months, a year, a couple of years. Some of you have been hanging with church for 15 years and haven't met Jesus. Need a new heart. Had something interesting happen uh, the other day. I was playing golf with some of the guys. and I, I've been trying to build some relationships and talk to these guys. I was playing with them. And, and uh, uh, we were fixing to play, and we were on the green and uh, putting, and then there was about, about eight or ten guys that kind of gathered around, and, and we were just talking before we were fixing to hit it. And um, I know them now. I've been hanging around a little bit. I know them, so I kind of know who they are. And one of them said, I need to, ask a th- I need to check our theological prowess out today. Oh, and I'm going, what's he going to do, you know? And he said, uh, can anybody tell me what March 16 means? And I'm thinking, what does March 16 mean, man? I'm thinking, that ain't, that ain't, that ain't Easter. What is that? What is, you know, I'm, not, I'm not thinking. And, and, he's, and nobody's, nobody knows what March 16 means. He said, well, evidently we're pretty ignorant. Pastor, can you tell us what March 16 means? It's on the back of your car. Oh, I said, that's my wife's car. <laughs> and I'll be glad to tell you what that means. March 16, 2003 is the day 
she was saved from her sin and had entered the personal life of Christ. She had been a great church member for a long time, but finally had a relationship with Christ in March 16, 2003. What an opportunity. God gave me such an opportunity to talk to these guys and share, and they're all kind of like, man, we don't know what to say next. Let's go play golf because we don't know what to do. I'm telling you, until you realize you're a sinner, it can be Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Church of God, Pentecostal, Episcopalian, Catholic, it doesn't matter. Until you realize you're a sinner, you'll never be saved. And that's why some people never change. They keep confessing they make mistakes, but they never change. They need a new heart. One day we're going to face Jesus. Matthew talks about a time, I mean, uh, Revelation talks about a time we're going to face Jesus. And he's going to open the books of life, and he's going to look, and he's going to see what's there about our lives, what we've done right, what we've done wrong, what we thought, what we shouldn't thought. And, and, and he's going to say, man, you're in trouble. Let me look to the Lamb's book of life. And he's going to look, and your name's not there. And he's going to say, I've looked here, and your name's not here. There's a blank where your name should be, but your name's not there. And I've got to say to you, depart from me. I do not know you. And you'll be cast into the outer darkness of the lake of fire. And can you imagine someone saying, wait, 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 wait. My bad, I just made a mistake. I just made a mistake. No, it is no mistake that you miss Jesus in this life. It is a deliberate act of sin of unbelief, not believing what the Bible has said about your sin and you and what he said about the Savior Jesus and what he said about judgment for those who do not receive him. It's actually an act of disobedience and rejection, and it's sin. It's not a mistake. And until you get to that point, Jesus said you'll never enter heaven. We need to change your heart. Grace does that for us. Only God can. You need a spiritual transplant of your heart. Tara Storch understands this miracle as much as anyone can. In the spring of 2010, her 13-year-old daughter was, died tragically in a skiing accident. The, the horrific time that filled their life with the funeral and the plans, but they decided, her and her husband, to, to donate her organs. They'd already planned to do that and, 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 and doing that in process. And so sure enough, there came someone that could use her heart. Her name was Patricia. She had been uh, experiencing heart failure for five years and uh, become very weak, virtually dying, and they, the news is, we've got your heart. Transplant was made. Uh, Tara had one request. She lived in Dallas, Texas. This, this heart transplant patient was in Phoenix. She had one request. I want to hear my daughter's heart beat one time. Well, as the healing process took place and things were well, everything had worked. Sure enough, the arrangement made, they left Dallas and flew to Patricia's house in Phoenix. And when they met, they hugged and cried. And then finally, Patricia pulled out the stethoscope and said, here. She put them in her ears and she laid that on the chest. And she heard the heartbeat of her daughter. In a different body, but the heartbeat of her daughter. 
when God listens to your heart, does he hear the heartbeat of his son? If he does not, you'll never see heaven. He comes in grace to change your heart, to put his heartbeat in you. Have you come to that point to finally stop saying you make mistakes and finally confess you're a sinner?